Greetings, 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 and welcome to another edition of Cat's Corner, the podcast. I'm your host, Rissa Cat Cat Okaday. This is episode five. So with this episode, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a story that brings together my eldest daughter's symptoms and syndromes alongside my recent trip to Art Basel. And of course, there's always, always, always some sort of epiphany and life lesson brought to you this time by my father. (laughs) So walk with me as we go on this journey. Okay, so picture it. I decided probably October or so that I wanted to check out Basel again, Art Basel. Well, Art Basel Miami is a huge arts fair that also now has design elements and all kinds of things. And I've only went one other time, came back with a really dope Haitian prayer flag, which, you know, there's a story behind that. So maybe one day I'll tell it to you. And, you know, because I'm now on the board of two arts organizations and it had been a minute I was like, yeah, you know, I want to go. And it just so happens that another friend of mine was going. So we decided to sort of room together, get an Airbnb, make it a whole thing. So it was going to be our first trip hanging out, you know, traveling. Well, not traveling together, but hanging out and being part of this thing. And at the last minute, last minute being maybe two weeks before Basel, my bestie and I had gone to, actually maybe it's a week and a half, had gone to New York for her birthday and to memorialize our good sis, Simone. And we had a really good time. There's probably going to be an episode about that because it was a really dope epiphany from that as well. And in the meantime, because of that trip and because we had, you know, had really great conversations. So one thing about me is that when I travel, I'm very particular about who I travel with because I don't want to be sort of turned into like the den mother or the RA on a trip. So I'm very particular over the years. I've become very, very particular with who I travel with. And so there are some certain go-tos. The bestie's one of them. Whenever we go anywhere together, it's always deep conversations, great moments. It's, it's, it's just always a blast. So as a result of our New York trip, she was like, you know what? I'm going to embrace this lightness of being that we've established. I'm going to meet you down there. I was like, bet. So now this trip has got three people coming in at different times. Of course, I'm the lead because I'm going in first. So I set up the Airbnb and I get in a day early. So I get in on a Thursday. Airbnb starts on a Friday and I come in early because I don't want no smoke. <laughs> I also have things that I have to do because I'm still teaching and I just want a little bit of downtime to myself before I go into the fray of Basel. So the place that I had gotten for us was not too far. It was a little ways, but not too far away from everything. And I had spoken to, you know, I texted the host and I said, hey, you know, is it possible for me to come early? Because of course, in typical Airbnb hotel fashion, it's like, oh, 3 p.m. check-in. That's, we, we probably need to do a whole thing on the problem with the way travel has just taken the fun out of everything. But 3 p.m. is when I'm supposed to check in. I want to see if I can get there a little earlier so that I don't have to spend a whole bunch of time in the lobby trying to finish doing some grading and some more stuff. And the response I get back is, uh, well, the, the cleaning people have to come back. They're not, they're coming back from school. They've done most of it, but they have to finish making the beds. So if you come early, you know, that's the only issue. I said, well, you know, I'm an eldest. I'll make the bed. I can make some beds. That ain't a problem. There's only three beds. No problem. Because I'm thinking if I can get in early and get settled, making a bed, it's whatever. So I get 
my stuff together. And <laughs> I'm going to take you through this trip because there are so many things happening. Uh, I leave the hotel that I'm staying in and the Uber pulls up. The night before when I'd come, they had a shuttle and the shuttle guy used some sort of card and there was like this gate that you had to go through. Raise the gate, goes in. I don't think much of it. When the Uber comes to pick me up from the hotel, the gate is up. I not really thinking, just assume that maybe the gate is just for security purposes in the evening. He comes through, loads me up, we're headed out. And when we get to the gate to leave, you have to have some sort of card because the gate was already up. He can't get out. And we're sitting here trying to call. It's a whole bunch of nonsense. Like it's a whole bunch of nonsense. So I end up having to go talk to the people at the front desk, to go back around, talk to people at the front desk and get them to open the gate. But by the time we get back to the gate, still can't get out. They're not answering the phone called them several times. It's a whole thing. Finally, somebody, three cars behind us, because now there's a line, comes in, uses his card, we get out. So when things like that happen, I'm one of those people that do prayers before I travel, you know, ask for traveling mercies, ask for things to be smooth. I don't ever get on the road to go anywhere without some sort of meditative prayer, just, you know, imagining everything being smooth. So when things are not smooth, that is usually a sign to me to get ready. So my back is already up <laughs> because of how difficult it is to get out of the hotel. It almost feels as if something is not wanting me to go to my next destination, which is this Airbnb that I booked since November. So I'd booked this thing maybe three and a half weeks out. Get to the spot. It's in this, you know, quiet neighborhood. I'm from, I was actually not from, well, technically I'm from Miami. I spent most of my formative years there. Miami for me has always, um, it's never felt good. And yeah, we'll talk about it. But when I do have to go, I'm always aware that I'm a little anxious just because Miami is not a place for me that it's slightly triggering, slightly. So I'm used to the way neighborhoods in Miami look. It looks like a typical, you know, Miami neighborhood, bungalow houses, you know, greenery. It's a cute, quiet neighborhood. Pull up and beautiful thing about Airbnb, at least the one I got, we don't have to worry about parking. We just roll up driveway, boom. I've been given which of the houses I'm supposed to stay in. So I go through this. Well, the plan is to go through this little gate. With a, it's a little knob you're supposed to go through. It's not locked. So that's something that I noticed. But what I also noticed and take in is before I actually step into the, the housing area, as I walk up the path, is a trash bag full of clothes. How do I know they're clothes? Because the trash bag is open and they're closed. Like somebody had just thrown them to sit outside. So keep track now. We have the hotel gate that won't let me be free. And now we have this bag of clothes sitting here at the entry point. Get in. And it's a it's a duplex. Uh, so two houses sort of side by side, you know, share a common wall. Both of the houses have these little porches with these deck chairs. And as I'm walking in, I notice things like the little solar lights that you use to, to light the path. Some of them are knocked over. There's bits of trash on the grass. The house that I'm supposed to stay in, the porch, the deck chairs look a little dingy. And there is this box that looks like, I don't know, I guess something that we were supposed to put together that's just sitting open on the porch. And it looks like it's been sitting there for months. Now, when you look at the pictures for the house, there are some elements, the outside area that were very appealing, including like this really great patio area. So I see the patio area. So I walk over to it and I notice to my left, there is a grill. There's a piece of the grill on the floor. 
And on top of the grill, the grill is closed, but on top of that little sidebar is a used diaper that has been wrapped up and is just bing, sitting right there. I look at this the patio table and there is a open Tupperware of uneaten food, cigarette butts everywhere. It's disgusting, y'all. It's really disgusting. And anybody who's ever, you know, done anything with Airbnb and has watched it become this sort of pirates, <laughs> this pirates of the Caribbean type of, you know, thing that it is now knows that it is very hard to make last minute cancellations and decisions when it comes to Airbnb. So as an eldest, I am, <laughs> I am wired to think of the worst case scenario. And so from the moment I saw the trash bag of clothes, I'm already thinking worst case scenario. And I'm already thinking about if I have to leave this place, how am I going to manage? Because I'm now in my mind responsible for two other people. It's not just me. So I you know, I go to open the door because I'm really trying. I'm like, cleaning people have to come back. Maybe I've been in situations where things weren't as clean and people have come back and cleaned. So I'm trying to just tuck that away, open the door. And lo and behold, there is this big sort of wave of natural gas that just attacks me. Oh, I forgot to mention I'm on the phone. I'm helping a sister friend out. You know, she needs some advice. And so as I'm managing all of these things, because we're on the phone when I'm in the Uber and we're still continuing the conversation, I was like, hey, I might need to get off because something doesn't seem right about this place. So we finish our conversation. And while I'm talking to her on speaker, I send a message through Airbnb. I'm a multitasker. And I tell the host, hey, um, there's a strong smell of gas. I need you to call me right now. So he calls me. He is based on his profile, based somewhere in Pennsylvania. And he sounds flustered and unclear. And he's basically asking me if I'm sure. So full disclosure, I did go into the apartment because I couldn't help myself. I wanted to see. I have a gas stove. I know that smell. I know what it could mean. So I was like, well, let me go see. Maybe somebody when they were cleaning just left a stove on or whatever. And I look, all of the stove knobs are in the off position, but the gas smell is really strong. So at that point, I slowly back out or quickly back out. And I realized that, look, I need to get as far away from this place as possible. So I back out. I call him. He's confused and flustered and he's stuttering. And I'm like, look, I need you to do something. He's like, well, what do I do? This is like red flag number five or four at this point. And I'm like, uh, you call the utility company that you pay for gas for and you have them come out so that they can come and figure out what's going on. So he says, okay, I'll do that right now. Calls me back, tells me he's called them. They're about 30 minutes out. And then he says to me, are you going to still be there? Now, this is the part of the story where when you travel, at least as a black woman, I'm super hyper aware of certain things. Airbnbs, of course, also because it's somebody's house or whoever owns it, super, super aware of how I am showing up because I'm a black woman and I don't want no problems. So because I've now opened the door and because I have sent him pictures of the space to let him know that things are not whatever cleaning people you have, they're not cleaning. I now feel obligated in some way, shape or form to wait because I don't want to be accused of having done anything. One, two, strangely enough, because of how strong the smell is once I open the door, I'm now concerned <laughs> that if this doesn't get handled, the whole neighborhood could blow up. Like that's literally what's going on in my head. So when Mr. Tim, the very nice gas man comes to the space, 
I had already closed the door because I was like, I don't know what's going on, but we're just going to wait for the guy. He comes, I let him in. And when he opens the door, he was like, yeah, something's wrong. He has this little meter and the meter's already ping, 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 ping. So he's going around the house and you could hear it ping, ping, ping. And as it gets closer to the kitchen, it starts to get more rapid. And finally, it's like screaming. And I can see him kind of flustered because he's looking at the knobs. He's you know, pulling the stove a little bit to see behind it. And this machine is going nuts, specifically on like the left-hand side of the machine. And at some point, because he got it, I just go back out to, (laughs) I go back out to the backyard and I send a message and I tell him, hey, the gas person's coming. One of the things that I had said, I forgot to mention this, is that while I was waiting, it occurred to me that why should I be waiting? So I sent him a message and I was like, can you send somebody from your team or whatever to come here and handle this? Because I don't want to wait and sit out here. I was like, this is really disruptive to my day. I had things that I needed to do, which is why I was coming early. And now this is really throwing me off. And my plan was, I'll just go to, I have friends who are already here. I'll just go hang out at their space until this gets resolved. And so he's like, sure, I can send someone. So my thing is I'll wait for this person And then, you know, hand it off because what I do not want is to be accused of having done anything or broken anything, what have you. So at some point, the brother, brother Tim comes out, the gas guy. He's like, I figured it out. Let me show you. Apparently, one of the stoves, the knob is incorrectly like set up. And I don't know if it's, you know, sometimes the knobs slip off and you can put them back on. Whatever the reason is, off means that it's actually on and open. But when you push it to like the number four or to like medium heat, it shuts it off. So the knob is jacked up. And he says, I warned them about this before. I've been, I was like, what? He's like, ah, I told them. He's like, the last time I was here, I told the woman, I was a woman on the phone and I told her that this, you know, she needs to get this stove fixed. I said, so you've been here before. This has been an issue before. He was like, yeah, I remember this house. He's like, I spoke to a woman. That's who you spoke to. I was like, no, I spoke to a dude. He's like, well, you know, they keep flipping this place. So. Who knows who owns it? But yeah, I spoke to a woman and, you know, I warned her about this. He's like, so what we need to do now is we need to air this all out because we need to get this gas out of this house. So we go around, we open all the windows. You know, I'm thinking this other person's going to come. So I'm helping out, opening all the windows. And I'm also just, the smell is really bad. And I just want to make sure that things are done. (sighs) Y'all. Because uh, because of the gas smell, I had not done the proper inspection. I just, I smelled gas. I couldn't see where it was coming from, backed out, made the calls, boom, boom, boom. Now, Mr. Tim, <laughs> this brother's like, uh, are you staying here? I was like, that was the plan. I said, but I don't know, because it's been real tricky, you know, since I've arrived. He's like, yeah, this place is, uh, you sure you want to stay here? He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And I start looking around and I start to notice things like random plastic cutlery and crumbs in one places the bathroom doesn't have a shower curtain there's a missing towel rack that looks broken and a piece of it's laying on one of the beds um just mattresses right because I was supposed to make up the beds there's no linens on the bed so in terms of like folded up to be made so I don't know where I'm supposed to get it from Mr. Tim though being a father of a 12 year old who is an asthmatic and has some immune issues is notoriously adept at cleaning and finding things that are not supposed to be there. So he starts to do a thorough search of the space and we discover a whole bunch of things that are disgusting that clearly 
either somebody's squatting or you're cleaning people or having parties. It's gross, y'all. There are things that I'm not going to necessarily repeat to you, but we found things. We found all kinds of things and it was disgusting. So I had already sent pictures to the host. And when we spoke about the gas thing, he's like, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to knock something off or whatever, whatever. And I'm again thinking worst case scenario, am I going to have to fight to get my money back because I paid for everything in advance just so that we would be good. And so I say to him, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to need a full refund. I sent him pictures. I was like, whoever your cleaning people are, they're not clean. This is disgusting and you need to kind of figure this out, but I'm not staying here. He's like, I understand, you know, they told me, you know, I looked at pictures last night. They, you know, they cleaned last night. I was like, well, I don't know who came and cleaned last night. Something's happened between last night and this morning. This place is not clean. And whatever's going on here, it just, I said, I don't feel safe. He agrees to refund my money. He says, he'll contact Airbnb. And I say, is your guy still coming? Because again, I'm a black woman. And what you're not going to do is accuse me of having done things which is why I took pictures so you could see your broken, your missing shower curtains and your broken towel racks and all these disgusting things that we're finding because I don't want you to accuse me of anything. And he said, I said, you know, what's the name of the person I should be looking for? And this is when I was like, yeah, I got to get out of here. This brother, well, he wasn't a brother, but the dude says, oh, um, it's an African name. (laughs) And, you know, I, there are moments in my life where people will say or do things that are so absurd that I'm convinced that I'm being watched by my ancestors on some sort of ancestral TV. Like I'm part of a reality show. So I look in the camera and I'm like, this is not happening. And he can tell by my silence that he has said something offensive. So he starts stuttering and he spells the name out. I won't say the brother's name because it's not his fault that, you know, whatever. But this brother never comes. You know, once we decide that I'm going to get my money back, he's like, well, does, you know, do I still still need to send my guy out? I was like, well, this is your place. I think it would be good for somebody who is on your team or whatever to see the mess that is there because it's disgusting, but I'm going to lock up and I'm going to go. At this point, I have already called the bestie because the other friend that's coming is en route. They're actually on a plane. So they, I can't even, I've sent messages, but they're not going to see it till they land. And so I said, Hey, when you get back to the house, I might need some help because this is what's happened. And while all this is going on, I look, I was like, let me just try my luck. I find a place, you know, get it. It's got what we need. And so I'm like, okay, I got another place. I will take care of this refund thing later. I will cancel the reservation once I just get clear of this place. So I get clear of the place, get to the second location. And um, it's one of those self check-in spaces. So I check in through the lobby. Well, it's like you go through the lobby and then they're supposed to give you your unit number and your unit number is how you get into the place. And so I'm looking and I'm like, where's the unit number? Why is there no unit number on this reservation? (sighs) Y'all, there's no unit number because apparently after 20 minutes of sitting in the lobby and waiting for someone to answer the customer service phone, either by text or by phone, because I'm trying both. And after finding out from the maintenance person who I didn't want to insult and assume was the maintenance person, so I let him walk back and forth about two or three times before he asked me, you know, if I needed any help, (laughs) realized that I do not have a reservation. My money, yes, has been snatched. And yes, according to Airbnb, I have a reservation. But according to their system, I do not have a reservation because the apartment that I was supposed to get is apparently not suitable. Something happened when they did a little check, thank you for checking, and realized that the apartment, something's wrong with it. It is a maintenance issue that needs to be fixed. So this is like what red flag 45, I guess, at this point. So I, you know, I'm talking, I'm finally talking to 
one of the sisters who is, I guess, the customer service. And I was like, hey, and I do this. This is part of how I try to be compassionate and acknowledge my anger. I said, you know, I apologize in advance for my tone, but this is unacceptable. So I know you and I just met and I know that I'm not blaming you, but I'm letting you know I'm about to get really upset. So just apologizing in advance. And I was like, you need to fix this. I said, because you took my money. No one alerted me when I got into an Uber and drove across town for almost 30 minutes to get to this place. Uh, No one ever said in the updates, hey, you sent me login details in the whole nine. So we go back and forth and she's, you know, she's like, okay, well, we'll do what we can. I was like, you will do what you need to do. Because at this point now, I'm over it. She comes back with something that's not suitable. And she's like, well, I don't, I was like, I don't care. You need to figure it out because you have my money. So you need to get me something that matches what I booked or we're going to have a problem. And so surprisingly enough, he's able to find a place. And according to the maintenance guy, where we ended up was better than where we would have been. So, you know, again, the signs were all there. So we get settled in and that takes up close to five hours of my time from the time I leave the hotel until the final time I get finally installed. It's about four and a half to five hours of just me trying to manage and reduce the amount of nonsense uh, that I'm going to be having to deal with. And there is a increased price because now, because it's last minute, things cost a little bit more. We get settled, you know, eventually everybody comes into town, you know, it's, it's fine. Like we work it out. And when I get back, I tell my dad this story. So I'm recounting this story and my dad says, so when I tell him about the diaper on the grill, he says, okay. So he's looking at me like, okay. And then I tell him, you know, when I open the door, this is what happens, the gas mail. And so he's waiting and I, he's like, okay. I tell him what else happened. He's like, wait a minute. You d-. He's like, you didn't leave? I was like, what? He's like, why did you stay? When I tell y'all in that moment, there were so many different things flashing in my head that I was so stunned by the question. Not only is it a valid question, so it's not that it's not a valid, it's an absolutely valid question. I think the thing that shook me a bit was that in that moment, when I opened the door in the gas-filled room sort of comes out, it does not occur to me to leave immediately. It occurs to me to fix the problem. Welcome to the world of being an oldest, or I don't know what else you would call it, but yes, I'm calling it because I'm the oldest. And my dad is completely confused. And he's looking at me like, wait a minute, why did you stay? No, we were on the phone, so he wasn't looking at me. But there was this pause and he was like, why did you stay? And I said, well, dad, you know, one, I said, I'm a black woman. So I didn't want anybody to accuse me of having done anything. He's like, yep. He's like that. Okay, I understand that. I said, and the other thing is, I did have this moment like, well, what if somebody lights something and it blows up the whole neighborhood? And my dad is quiet again. So mind you, I'm not there with him, but he's quiet. And I can hear him in his head thinking, but then you, something would have happened to you. So I tell him the rest of the story. And then he asks me at two other critical points, like, is that when you left? And every time he asks me, I'm like, well, no, then I did this. And then he was like, was that when you left? And I was like, well, no, that's when I did this. And he's look, and he's on the phone and I can hear him thinking in his head, like, what is wrong with my kid? And he's like, well, why did, why didn't you just leave? And he's like, you know, I would have just left immediately. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, because to a certain extent, as a man, there's a way that you could have talked to this dude where I think 
it would have been like, no question, I'm not going to bother you. Your money would be delivered right away. And I could be wrong, but there was just a moment I had where I was like, yeah, I didn't. Because in a lot of ways, I've never been taught to just abandon (laughs) a place. Like It's like you figure out how to fix the situation and you try to leave it so that, you know, things are good. And then that way, you know, there are all of these things that I was taught as a kid about how you as a black girl have to walk in the world. And one of the things my mother used to always reiterate in this country, you have to be careful because people will think because you're black that you're a thief, because you're black that you are a destroyer. So you have to, you know, you have to do these things. And I, y'all, I be working on this conditioning and trying to, to divest myself of the conditioning. And it was a moment, like even in the space of things actually happening, there was a moment when I was sitting there waiting and, you know, there was a part of me Thanks to, you know, a lot of ways, um, the sessions I've been having with my coach, Nora, well, I was like, why are you sitting here waiting? And that's when I sent a text like, hey, I'm not staying. You need to send somebody. And all I wanted to do was a handoff. So had dude come, the guy that never showed up, I do think I would have walked away. I think I was waiting to do the handoff. But at the same time, the fact that I stayed there, it was such a bizarro move to my father (laughs) that when him being the one to kind of like, he just, I, I can't, I don't know how to explain it, y'all. Like my dad and I have this amazing relationship now, thankfully. And there are moments where we'll have these epiphanies, you know, he'll have these epiphanies or I'll have these epiphanies. And as he's asking me this question, he's not having an epiphany that part of the reason why I stayed is because being his daughter, being the daughter of him and my mother meant that I had a lot of responsibility as a kid. And there was always this sensibility around if something happens on my watch, whether I'm five <laughs> or whether I'm 15, I'm going to get in trouble. It doesn't matter that the other kids were there. It doesn't matter who else was there. I'm responsible because I'm the oldest. And there is something that kicks in. And I think it applies to onlys as well. So whether you are the eldest or you've been forced to operate as the eldest or whether you're an only, there is something that happens where you are not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the scenario and how you might get in trouble. Well, maybe you are thinking about yourself, but you're ultimately working against, you don't wanna be the one held responsible for whatever happened. And I distinctly remember feeling like now that I had opened this door, that I had to see this all the way through. I have friends who I absolutely love, who upon seeing the clothes in the trash bag would not have even crossed the threshold, would have been like, nope, we're finding a new place. I don't care if I lose the money, I'm not staying here. Whereas for me, it was like, okay, let's see if this gets better. And, you know, taking notes of everything that I'm seeing, I'm like, okay, well, maybe they can fix this piece or this is gross, but somebody can come clean this up. I don't have to clean it up. They can fix it. And so there are moments throughout this scenario where I am operating in a problem solver space. And so my father kind of shaking me a little bit. And at the same time, me understanding that the way that I was brought up prepares me to kind of operate this way. The irony, of course, is is not lost on me, is jarring. But at the same time, it's like, oh my God, here's something else that you have to decondition in terms of how you move about the world. And so I was thankful that I was able to get it done. And it was really cute because the friend that came in second who found out everything once he landed and he saw all of the texts, one of the things he said, he was like, I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that on your own. And when we all were finally able to get together and talk about it, he was like, you know what? In a lot of ways, you know, 
I don't know if I had been the right person to, to greet that situation because I, I don't know what would have happened. I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, you know, to a certain extent, I get it, you know, because of how I think about the world and, you know, all the signs that were pointing like this might not be a good look. We did end up in a great place, but I also feel like, yeah, I was definitely equipped, I guess, to manage the situation, but watching myself manage the situation because I do have moments where as things were happening I'm standing out my side of myself watching myself I was like okay you're doing good you, you haven't panicked you know you, you've problem solved it and you've gotten things done and I think it was once I had found a new place and I got to the second place and it turned out to be <laughs> a problem I think that's when I started to unravel a little bit so I share that story because I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about with this episode and I was really struck. Like I was at Basel. I did see some art eventually. I did get to hang out a little bit. But the thing that <laughs> sticks with me the most was that those four and a half, five hours where I was trying to, you know, make sure that we had a safe place to stay. Everything else, with the exception of maybe one experience at uh, the Prism Art Fair, just pales in comparison and so there is this I don't know y'all it's it's in this desire to be completely free and to like to really embrace my humanity every time I feel like I went through the Morocco piece if anyone listened to episode two and thank you to those that listen because I got a lot of texts and I'm still getting calls and people having moments having listened to it so I appreciate that the story resonated with some of you all um, and for people that know me, understood the genuine emotion that was behind it, because that was a hard one to do. Um, ever since that trip, I've had to kind of sit in this space around these lessons and like what, you know, you're about to be 50. Like, what have you learned? Like, how are you doing things different? You know, people say when you get older, you're supposed to feel freer. And I'm finding that as much as I think that I've grown in as many ways that I think that I have let go of certain conditionings, oh gosh, there's a lot that I still have to unpack. So I was proud that I did cancel because there's a part of me, because when you're the oldest is you don't want to make noise. You just want to, you just want things to just be done that I had to like really fight. You know, I knew at some point we're not staying here, but the time it took from the time of the gate to the gas, it took a little too long. And so I need to get better at that. Yeah. So when I think about what it is that I was sort of, taking away from that moment, the big piece of it was how much my autopilot is still very much in play. It doesn't get tired, apparently, even at this age, you would think that I'd be tired of always taking the lead. But, you know, apparently I can't even help myself. So that's where we are. It also made me think about the way that as women, we are sort of brought into these spaces sometimes and made to feel like, hey, if you don't fix it, if you don't, you know, if you don't handle it, it won't get handled. And so I'm reminded, like, from the time that I came back till now, there was another friend who had a similar story. And hers was, in my opinion, was worse because they ended up staying in the house and there were all kinds of things wrong with it. But I remember she was telling me what was going on in the house and there was an issue with electricity. As she's telling me the story, I was like, so when you called him to come fix it, what happened? She's like, well, I just went and fixed it myself. And her host actually lives in Miami. So I was like, well, why did you fix it? She's like, oh, because it's just easier. It's not a big deal. And at the same time that I had just finished having my moment and, you know, telling her everything, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you too. Like, we're, look at us. Like, look at how we're handling this. It's like we are paying all of this money to be in these spaces. 
And at the hands of these hosts, we're still trying to fix the things that they should be responsible for. So it was just really eye-opening being in that moment. And then, you know, even having a conversation with someone who had something similar. It was just like, yo, we have got to figure out how to, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think it's something that I'd like to move away from because, you know, I want to I wanna get free of that. And that between, you know, Miami coming back, Trevor Noah resigned from The Daily Show and, you know, that he made that, that, that his thank yous and he thanked black women. And there was a moment where, you know, he's, he's very choked up and he's very emotional. And I'm watching that particular clip and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, thank us. That I appreciate that. And he says that black women can't fuck around and find out. Like we operate from a place because we can't afford to fuck around and find out. Because for us, <laughs> you know, if we wait too long, DOA, it's going to be a problem. We're going to suffer in ways that will be a lot harder to sort of come back from. And there are lots of takes on, you know, his thank you speech in that particular section about black women and, you know, went viral. Everybody was talking about it. I definitely have issues with this notion that you're thanking black women for teaching you. I'm like, how many of the teachers got to be on your platform? There was a couple that you mentioned, but this whole idea of black women constantly being in this space of having to be the teachers in order to avoid, you know, utter destruction reminded me of that moment when my Airbnb host didn't know what to do when there was a gas leak. How even in that space where I'm physically there and potentially in danger, he is safely away in Pennsylvania and asking me what to do about a property that he supposedly owns and should be able to figure out. So there has been this way that in the last couple of weeks, I've just been kind of witnessing the ways in which I'm still kind of fighting for my humanity and also the ways in which that as a black woman, I can't fuck around and find out. I can't afford to do that. Like if I were to have waited for this dude to do anything, I would have still, you know, been sitting there. And at the same time, I know people who have had issues with like, you know, Airbnbs not being clean and have requested, you know, discounts or refunds and haven't gotten it off the strength of, well, yeah, I know what I said, but you know, the house is still fine. So, you, you know, I'm not going to give you any money back. So there was just this way that I was fighting for. I wanted to make sure that I had exhausted all of these possibilities before I hit that cancel button so that when I hit that cancel button, it was clear without a doubt that my money needed to be returned. We got back, I got back Monday. And when I had to transfer from one you know, from the second property to the third property, one of the things, like I said, I had said to them was that you guys had me come all the way over here, you know, paid to get an Uber halfway across town. And now you're telling me I got to go somewhere else. The woman that I spoke with said, once we figured out the new place to stay, she's like, please send me the receipt for your Uber. We will pay for it. We'll, we'll reimburse you for it. I was like, all right, cool. Get there. There's a couple of issues, but we finally, I was able, finally able to send them the receipt so they could see it. And when I say immediately from the time, like once they got the receipt and confirmed the amount, I think within 10 minutes of me sending that email, there was a notice that that amount had been refunded. That was on Friday. So when I didn't see my immediate refund from the first location after canceling, I was like, okay, am I going to have to like fight? Like what's going to happen here? It was the weekend going, it was going into the weekend. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to let it ride. I got room on the card. We'll just deal with it on Monday. When I canceled, 
you know, Airbnb has a support system that's a little, in my opinion, raggedy. I think when people are feeling like they're not in danger, I don't have time to be clicking on different categories. I think I need to be able to speak to somebody. I'm also a Gen Xer, so I don't trust a lot of these systems sometimes because I need to know that there's a person on that back end who's gonna, you know, act. So it took a while to get support to really understand why I had canceled. And I think when when I initially canceled, I was told this, sent this sort of stock message that, you know, based on the cancellation policy, you can't get your money back. I mean, I knew that was a lie, but that's what they sent. When I get home on Monday, I decide to really lean into getting my money back because I'm a, I'm a little concerned that it hasn't happened on its own. And I'm really concerned now that I've seen this immediate refund based on an Uber ride, like within 10 minutes that this host is playing games, you know, of the, of the Airbnb that I had to cancel. So it takes like several cycles from the time I land of me talking to people claiming that I need to speak to a supervisor, you know, waiting for a supervisor, not getting a supervisor, like rounds and rounds. And I had to say to each person, I apologize in advance for my tone, but I'm just gonna let you know right now I'm not happy and it's about to get ugly. So I've had to, you know, I've had to raise my voice. I've had to express very clearly that I don't care what their policy is. This was not a place that was safe and I need my money back. I've told them, I've talked to the host vis-a-vis your your system. You should be able to see our exchange. I don't really care about your little supervisory hierarchy. Give me back my money. And in both cases, when I, when I actually talked to a person, I had to say, if I do not hear from you by the end of the day, I will blow this up on social media. I had to threaten to do that. And I'm not the kind of girl that goes out of the way swinging, you know, my little followership around. But I was like, y'all are playing games and I don't really have the time to be, I don't, one, the fact that I have to do all this labor is exhausting enough, but I'm not do. I'm not going into Tuesday without having my money. I think I landed around 1231 o'clock. By the time I got home, I'd spoken to two different people. And then one of the people calls me back like later in the evening and I did not told them, I was like, hey, you got to the end of the day, by the end of the evening, I guess, and you know, you need to have, my, my money needs to be where, where it belongs. And I'm being told, oh, well, we're gonna do the best we can. I was like, nope, you're gonna do what I asked you to do. And so at some point, when it's clear that people are not taking me seriously, I post something on Twitter. All of a sudden, Airbnb has hit me back. And I was like, yo, this is the issue. You all need to fix it. And I don't, I don't wanna hear what you, just do it. I think by eight o'clock, after going back and forth with yet another person, by eight o'clock, I get a message saying, hey, your refund for this reservation has been initiated. It'll take 16 days to see it. I get back on with this person. It's like, I'm gonna need my money immediately. I'm not fix it or I'm going back on Twitter. And then I get an updated message. Hey, you're me- <laughs> we've refunded your money. You should see the transaction should clear in about a day or so. So it went from 16 days to a day. I did get my money back. By Tuesday, everything was back where it should be. And on top of that, I got a message from the second or the third place that I stayed at, same property owners, but different property, um, where they wanted to clarify what had happened. They wanted to apologize. And I got a $200 credit off of the second reservation that I had to make. So it was still slightly more. It was like a $287 difference. So I got them to, well, they offered to give me a $200 credit, which was dope. And I got Airbnb when they were like, is there anything else we can do? I was like, well, you can pay the difference. Give me the difference that, you know, that I had to pay to find a safe place to stay. They ended up giving me a hundred dollar, I think 
gift certificate or something towards the amount. And what was cool was that because of who I am, it all worked out in terms of how we all took care of everything. So everyone ended up not paying more than they would have or they should have because it was a different place. So I was able to somehow get all of the extra charges that we incurred because I had to make this last minute move sort of taken care of. So in a lot of ways, being the oldest does have some of its perks, but the roundabout way in which I had to go there, even in telling this story, is exhausting in a lot of ways. So I came away with some really insightful moments. I was able to see some growth in myself, but I was also able to see how much I'm still kind of in that space around, okay, you have to make sure everything's okay and everybody's okay. And while I love that about myself, I do want to see if I can get to a place where I can be a little bit faster to be like, nope, we're not doing this. So yeah, that's my story. That's my Basel story. Did see some dope art. Did have a really dope, you know, beach moment with my brother who lives there and the bestie. We decided to go to the beach because she wanted to go to the beach at night. And then we snuck into a party at the W. And then I met a really dope fly dude from South Korea. We passed each other at the pool and I just loved his outfit. And then we ran into each other at the gift shop because I was going to the bathroom. I ended up having to go through the gift shop to get to the bathroom and got stuck at the gift shop because it was a really cute gift shop. And uh, we <laughs> I saw him and I was like, can I just say, I just, I, I love your whole style. I, I love your outfit. I just think you're amazing. And then he was like, I was looking at you when we postured in the pool and I wanted to stop, but I didn't know if it was appropriate. I just wanted to tell you that I think you're beautiful. You know, your whole look, your whole style is just amazing. And I just, I just wanted you to know that. So we had this kiki moment where we hugged. It was the sweetest thing, y'all. It was the absolute sweetest thing. So there were these moments after the Wahala that turned into... It's, it's the reason I travel because there's always going to be an adventure and you're always going to meet people that kind of highlight the beauty of humanity, even as you're meeting people who make you want to punch them in the face. So that's my Basel story. That's the full story because I shouldn't let you think that it was just terrible because of the, the housing thing. The housing thing kicked off a lot of stuff, but we ended up having a great time in terms of the conversations, in terms of um, those moments of being seen. Our, my little trio, we've all decided that we're going to do more art shows together. So that was cool. But it was just, it was a lot, y'all. It was a lot. And I really do think that Miami, slightly triggering as it is, you know, sometimes is just, it's small doses for me. It's definitely small doses. So the big takeaways, because I need to end this episode. I feel like this has gone on a lot longer than I planned. The deconditioning is a daily process. It is not something that you can, even when you think that you've sloughed off something, you have to check. So what I walked away with was this was a, a really great instance of, hey, are you really free of that conditioning? And I found out that to a certain extent, I'm not, but I am getting better. So that was takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is that travel is has changed a lot. Uh, it, it's not as, I don't enjoy traveling as much as I used to because the process of getting to places with all of the innovations that we have, people are trash. Like there's just a lot of trash people that you have to manage on just to get to places. And so I do realize that as much as I love traveling, that it is important for me to insulate myself in the coming and the going because 
I need a little space to to reacclimate because the process of getting to places now has just become so it's just so full of nonsense and potholes. So coming in a day before was a really good idea. I think had I come in that day and had to hit the ground running with this issue, I think I probably would have somebody I I don't know that I would have gone to jail, but I think it would have gotten really uh, it would have gotten ugly. And I think the way that I was finally able to manage everything as stressful as it was, it was a lot less, you know, it was a lot, it was a little quieter. It didn't have as many bells and whistles as it could have. Um so the importance for me of traveling in a way that allows me space to acclimate is is something that I've noticed both from the Morocco trip and this one. And then the third takeaway is that there's still good people out there. Like as crazy as the world gets, as disappointing as humans can be, there are still these moments where you interact with someone that you don't know, a complete stranger, and it's just a magical moment that you never would have had otherwise. And so from the brother in the fly outfit and from South Korea to the brothers that I met at PRISM to the random sighting um, in the Publix by a friend that had moved from D.C. who now lives in, in Mexico who just happened to spot me while I was trying to find basil pesto. Like those moments of like magical interaction. And to Tim, the gas guy, he was amazing. He helped me find even more dirt. That's what it's about, you know? It's a little crazy and, you know, we could all be better. But I love that I always have these these nuggets, these moments that say, yeah, we're we're gonna be okay, and I had that at Basel, so that was that's my Basel story. My what had happened was the Basel edition. Hopefully, you got something out of it. <laughs> I'm still gonna post this because I put a lot of energy to telling this story, and I just think, you know, what the hell. But um, yeah, I told y'all with this season, I was gonna gonna try to be as as open as transparent. So there's a couple other things planned that are you know I'm a, I'm gonna be in my business a little bit. But yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate y'all. And I'm hoping that as we get closer to the end of 2022 and we start to get ready for the next year that you have a little peace and quiet and even moments of magic because that's what it's all about. And with that, I am out because this culture ain't gonna make itself. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. Wanted to let you know that Cat's Corner, the podcast, is produced by Lil Sosa Productions and edited by Aileen Andrada of Your Pod. But if you'd like to follow us, you can check me out at Cat's Corner Co., K A T S K O R N E R C O, on all platforms and LSP underscore on the go. Tune in next time for another edition. As always, we appreciate your listen. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you can be updated as new podcasts come in. Take care.